Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 44. And today we're going to be talking about worship in the Canadian Asian Church. Let's do this. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And this is a unique recording experience. We are currently in a car on the road with a bunch of donuts in Austin, Texas. And today it's going to be awesome because we got four people on this podcast. One that is returning and one who's brand new. So Shoes here. Shoes, what's going on? Yippee-ki-yay. Oh, yeah. And Kevin is back. Kevin, what's going on? Nothing much, but what's up, everyone? Yes, yes. And today's new guest is John Beck. John Beck. Hello, all. Yes. Oh, man, this is going to be great. And not only is it because we come from a diverse perspective, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, so it's going to be a really good episode to kind of unpack a little bit of those differences. But at the same time, everyone in here has at one time in their life or is continuing to do so lead worship and play music in the church and to be able to lead in services and such. So it is going to be a great time, a good discussion. So right off to the top of the bat, how would you describe the history of worship in Canadian Asian churches and what does it look like now? What would you say if someone asked you that question? I think it's different for people in different denominations and different contexts. But like for me, for example, I grew up in a Baptist church. Uh, It was the first Chinese Baptist church in the area in Toronto. And yeah, the worship was basically led by either, I guess, the choir or the the song leader with the organist or pianist. And it's it's quite Baptist in outlook because I've seen a lot of Baptist churches, like old school Baptist churches that that had that for so long. So that's how the, the musical part of the worship went. And the focus is, was on preaching of the word and yeah, kind of like communion once a month. Mm. That was like, yeah, basically how the service went. Yeah. So when you say Baptist, are you saying it being led by the song leader or the chairperson or, or that's what we call it, I guess the, <laughs> yeah, the chairperson is kind of weird or the pastor usually who would be doing that, but they'd get other people involved in the liturgy. Right. And where would you say in the Chinese context it is now? I think in most churches that used to have choirs, almost all of them, I think, are phased out. Mm. Now, not many not many choirs I've seen No more anymore, choirs. Unless maybe like a pickup choir or something like that. But it's modern worship, I think, in most uh, Protestant evangelical churches, I would say, especially like the Chinese churches, all kind of the next generation are more like influenced by Hillsong, like kind of Passion Bethel or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, and more free worship. Sure. I think reigns, and I think the the preaching of the word is still central to most uh, evangelical churches. Mm, all right, and it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think some in some contexts they say they would be like, "Oh, it's modern. It's like vineyard," and it's like, "Oh, uh, no, no, not anymore." <laughs> That's like twenty years ago. Yeah. Maybe when we first started modern worship stuff, it was vineyard. I mean, like there, there must be movement. There was a movement away from hymns. There must be, you know, kind of a change and shift along the way, right? Yeah, there's definitely hymns. I think everyone in this car, you probably like was at a church with that, that did mostly hymns in the beginning, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Sure. Are, are you looking at it in the perspective of like the English congregation in the Chinese church or 
Chinese, like first generation, or yeah, as a yeah. whole? Yeah, even the Chinese side. Like I would say, most Chinese sides, uh, Chinese speaking sides, still in Chinese churches in particular, are still doing hymns, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. there's there's not as much. I think there's less choir. Maybe people are getting too old, or or it's just they can't can commit to a choir kind of thing. But that was what I noticed was very led by in churches. Mind context. I remember uh, first joining the church that I'm currently part of about 25 years ago. Yes. And the music worship uh, was led by uh, formerly a group that we called the Guitar Group. A particular church member had a vision and a passion to train some of the young people in playing instruments, guitars, you know, bass guitars, percussion. And so the music worship was led by mostly that group at that time. That was 25 years ago? That was 25 years ago, so it's quite forward thinking i think yeah and yeah, so. they were totally okay with guitar and percussion i think so i mean when i stepped into the church that was the norm so that's the context in which i grew up in okay all right awesome i grew up in a in a korean church in london ontario and my first recollection of of worship was that and this is only until after i started to understand what liturgy and tradition was kind of like it was very very traditional presbyterian Worship liturgy. Mm. So processional with a choir coming in with a hymn, call to worship, prayer of confession, repentance. And the singing, of course, was done by a, an organ and a choir. Okay. And, and we had a hymnal uh, that was attached to your Bible. Oh, attached uh, to your Bible? So you have like one, one, one book, which is your Bible and the hymnal Whoa. together. How, how thick was that book? Oh, it's pretty thick. It's pretty big. I remember when I, when I, after I, uh, I was baptized, my parents uh, gave me a hymnal slash Bible. It says, this is for you for the rest of your life. <laughs> what, was it goatskin? <laughs> goatskin leather? Was it, ha, is, ha, it, ha. Is, that, is that a way is it a, like, Inside a joke. <laughs> he loves Bibles. Yes. I do, I do. I yes. like big Bibles. Yes. And he cannot lie. That's he true. Lie. He cannot lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, very Presbyterian tradition. Okay. But it was all in Korean. Of course. Mm. And so as I grew up and I started to learn, you know, church a little bit, service. Okay. And that English service was also old school, traditional Presbyterian liturgy. So it's the same thing that the, the Korean side did, but we did this in English. Okay. And so it's it very, very traditional as to how people were done, was done back then. All right. But of course, the unique thing was that I think I was like when I was, when we were about, when I was around 15, I think that's when I was like nine, 1992 or so. Our English ministry went to Chicago to a, a conference and they had a worship team all in English. And they, this was kind of like the introduction to, to Vineyard for us. So at that moment, our English side realized, wow, this is amazing. For once, the church can be fun and very interesting <laughs> and, and, and exciting. And so that Those was the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that was, it was a good thing. But, and that was like the, the, the beginning of a new era of kind of modern worship for our church in London at that time. So it was the beginning of a big change yeah. as to how things were going to be going. And have you seen a big shift now to that style or that approach? I would say so. Actually, you know what? Thinking back, there really wasn't a lot of discussion as to why worship was done the way it was. Mm. And a lot of it was like thinking, okay, what was helpful not helpful what was somewhat fun what was not there wasn't a lot of discussion at that point mm. so we started to take things out oh. and insert things that we thought would have been more meaningful mm -hmm. 
But, you know, we're looking at it in the lens of what we thought was good, as opposed to theologically, biblically, as to what worship, uh, especially in corporate worship, what it uh, looks like. What's, so, what's one example of taking something out? We took out the Apostles' Creed. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Interesting. And like, you know, now after, you know, Pastor Shu or Shu and I went to... <laughs> I, I, why am I laughing? I, I don't know. It's like <laughs> laughing that oh, this guy could be a pastor. Yeah. She, she and I went to the Robert Weber Institute for Worship. And as we learned about like, like worship and liturgy and theology and worship, we, we start to value like meanings of, of, how, of what we say, what we do yeah, for sure. uh, to worship. And when we're thinking about liturgy, you know, when we think about liturgy, we're thinking, like, what, are, what is the, the acts of the people? that cause us to respond to God. And so things like the Apostles' Creed now look back and say, ah, this is important. But as young people, and also in the, the Korean pastoral side, perhaps they weren't as thoughtful towards how worship should be for the English ministry, so mm. they just let things slide. And maybe they, they didn't know how to teach it. To, and that's, to a, that's, a, that's a big possibility, yeah. because no one really taught me mm. or... Uh, like our, our lay leaders yeah. as young people. So we took out the Apostles' Creed because we thought it was boring. Okay. <laughs> now, did you see the same shift over in the Korean side? Before I became one of the English pastors here at Richmond Hill Christian Community Church, I was at a church called Downsview Presbyterian Church. And on the Korean side, they still have the Apostles' Creed. Surprisingly enough, as I became the English pastor there, I put that in. I put the Apostles' Creed in Into the intentionally side. for the English okay. side. But, but you, taught, you must have taught it and explained exactly. it to your people so they understood what they were, why they were, it was part of their worship. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we did take a few weeks as to uh, be it through a seminar or through a uh, preaching series mm. as to why we worship in a particular way, why we mm. say these things, how do we respond, um, and how does it form uh, your heart in your relationship with God and as a, as a congregation. That's very intentional. Yeah, Yeah. very cool. Kevin, for you, like, did you see any shifts over the 25 years that you've been part of the church or has it continued to kind of, you know, resemble what you had initially experienced? Yeah, I think we've gone through, you know, periods of, you know, discovering and rediscovering the true meaning behind, um, you know, biblical worship and what that might look like in a corporate context. Primarily in the English side or just Japanese and English side? It's been different. In both contexts. Okay. Yeah. So I find that normally with the Japanese-speaking members of the church in that congregation, it's often limited by just sheer numbers of people who are able to serve in that particular ministry. Okay. So depending on who's available to play instruments and to uh, lead the vocals and to lead the the congregation in worship, it would often change. So the teams would be based on who's available. Mm. Um, And that's been the same for, for us as well. And I think it wasn't until more recently, I'd say maybe in the past five years, where we really took a step back from tradition and, and practice and really starting looking at how we can be intentional and in, in allowing this ministry to shape and form our hearts in the context of a corporate gathering mm. to bring more intention as you know john was sharing about bringing intention into you know aspects of of the worship gathering so okay. that's been a that's been a good journey for us sure yeah. you know did people respond to it positively did people did you find that it was an easy step to take i believe so yeah yeah i think so Good. Uh, yeah, it's been some opportunities of growth, learning as well. So it's been quite healthy for us. Okay, yeah. awesome. Glad to hear that. You know, speaking a little bit about kind of shifts along the ways, 
you know, this happened a few generations back in terms of churches and, and in terms of examining worship and such like that. But at any point, was there like uh, like pushback against, you know, including things like guitars or percussion and drums and moving away from organ and such like that? But Kevin, you were mentioning that that's the way you had always experienced it right when you started, right? As far as I can remember, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely pushback. And if you're coming from a church or a church culture that, that's more used to, I think, reverence and and looking like and is, to do hymns and have organ and piano as the kind of main backing backing things. Yeah, I think it was it was definitely like a shift when you have guitars and drums and then electric guitar and, and bass and it <laughs> yes. was jarring to to a lot of people who are older and they're like what wh- where's my piano Where, where's my organ where's my this or that and it, it frustrated some people it's like this is too loud it's hurting my ears and, mm. and i could get that if if you're not used to that and it was just a, a huge stylistic difference right i remember the senior pastor at the church in london when we started building a band and we had electric guitars and bass and louder sound I, I vividly remember him saying in Korean, what is this devil music? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if only you like record it and then play it backwards. Or, or, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. So, so what is the ways in which, you know, that has been continually wrestled with? And you know, how do you respond when those kind of things do come up? So I think one of the, my thoughts is like, sometimes like it's kind of what we were touching upon one is that we were never really taught or or people explained why you were doing what you're doing and i think that's changed a lot in in most churches right. people want to be more informed they want their their what they do is theologically driven mm. not just you know assumed or or just you know i, I we're just doing it because it's I, I like it like just for personal preference but you know that still comes out so what what i find is is happening more and more is Trying to trying to be more explaining what's going on in teaching or discipling your congregation or people even not even leaders are doing that. I know uh, people within the congregation is like, why are we doing what we're doing? And they have to go go study or go go uh, learn from other uh, theologians or pastors why uh, through scripture and and through tradition why we do what we do hmm. in worship. You know, like I I totally understand why some of that has happened and. Here's one critique that I have. I think a lot of our worship uh, tendencies have been kind of co-opted from Western missionaries. Mm. And you hear about this story, like I think, like me and John going to, to school at Robert Weber's Institute. I remember one story kind of vividly where it's just like, we had to question, how come in Africa, when Western missionaries went to Africa, and then like to te- they teach Africans about what Christianity is, and they, oh, you have to dress in suits. Okay. You know, you have to dress in a certain way. Your your worship service has to look a certain way, but they didn't really understand. But they just say, if I'm a Christian, I guess I have to be like these white, you know, Western Christians or right. something like that. Like their whole definition of worship was linked with those missionaries and their way of expression. And not that I think that there's anything like super wrong about, you know, the, the liturgy, which I think is also contextual to to a lot of where people are at. But to be understanding where it comes from and, and why you're expressing in the way you are is now finally like kind of putting, this is the reason why we express our worship to God in this way. And then we're teaching others how to do that. But we're also giving them the the tools to be able to uh, communicate, to teach others and to actually live out that worship, whether it's in a worship service or in, in just being the church. I think like 
the church service is supposed to be discipling people, part of that formation process for everyday life. Yeah, for sure. But it's become more of a, well, here's the kind of, you know, religious tradition and you just got to do it, but not understand why. And I think that's been the, the danger point, but I do think it's, it's shifted more from that. Mm. So yeah. That flows perfectly into kind of like what we want to talk about next is why. Why is it still important to gather together to worship? And perhaps I put this question out there, perhaps in for the Japanese, Chinese, and Korean context, how would you guys answer that question? Especially in a culture where people are like, I can have my individualized spirituality and, you know, church is just a traditional thing rather than have kind of a deeper meaning. So how would you guys answer the question if someone asked you? Why is it still important to gather together to worship? I can speak into the Japanese culture. I find that, you know, in Japanese culture, the, the whole concept of community is very central to who we are. It's important to have a sense of belonging, to know that we are with others. Okay. And to have an expression of identity as, you know, the church coming together, gathering corporate worship. That's how we express who we are in a very tangible way. Okay. And so to be sure. part of that, I think, brings quite a bit of meaning to us, right? Is, is it almost like a corporate ethos? Yeah, you can see that. Yeah, yeah, corporate ethos, corporate you know culture, and an expression of that. Okay. And so, for people to to feel like they belong, they can be a part of that. I think is important to to our formation, to their formation. Yeah. Has the Japanese people, Japanese culture, generally been more corporate than individual? Definitely. I mean, if you think back to looking at you know culture, Japanese culture as a whole, we tend to be more collectivistic. Okay. Our perspective and, and how we see things. And, and so that, once again, it's the identity as, as a community as a whole tends to have, in some cases, or I'd say maybe most cases, have greater value than the identity of the individual. Mm. So we are who we are because of the people around us. Almost tribalistic, in a sense. In a sense, yeah. Yeah, okay. Probably similar to other Asians coming to like a foreign land, like coming to Canada from China or Korea or Japan, people come to Canada and... I think that sense of belonging is is part of our uh, our culture, where we to be to be belonged. So Koreans are all about like I'm Korean, I'm gonna hang out with Koreans. <laughs> let's let's band together. So it doesn't necessarily mean that people have come together because they love Jesus Christ, mm. but they come because there is a, a cultural aspect sure. of being in a foreign land. So just thinking about this question, there's just, there's always a little bit of a tension between uh, this is about Christ and the, the calling that God gives to all people to come and worship? Or is it just uh, like, this is a great way to hang out with my people? Okay. And so like, that's, that's, a, that's a tension. But at the same time, we also know that when, at least for Koreans, when they come together, they band together as one. Very right. similar to what you were saying, Kevin. So I think there's a, there's a, a similarity in that respect. And in a sense, like the church kind of filled that place because... You know, when they immigrated over, where are you going to find your community? Absolutely. You go to church. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I, it's very interesting. I don't know if you ever watched that show, Kim's Convenience, but uh, yes. there's always these little, like, borderline legalistic reasons as to why people come to church. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I thought that was really funny to see that. But there is, there's a lot of truth in it. For example, people will come to worship because we are one and we are singing together. But as a pastor... Perhaps you might be thinking to yourself, like, what's thinking, what's happening in your mind, in your heart when you come to worship? And so one way that made me think about this was when Chris Tomlin brought that song, How Great Is Our God? There was always that question, why does he add that little line, sing with me, How Great Is Our God? 
And I remember thinking, like, that's such a weird way to say it. And then I had the opportunity to see him. I said, so why do you put that line in? He says, because, well, think of what the Bible is saying. You're not only saying, God is saying, come to me to worship, but he's also call the people around you, call your family, mm. and tell them, like, who I am. Yeah. Vertical and, so, and horizontal. Exactly. Kind of there's, a, there's, a, there's a relationship on both ends. Mm. There was always that tension of, are people singing because we are singing together? Or is it just me and God, but it just happens to be that there's a lot of people here. Mm. Well, I that's think, a really cool point. Yeah. So that's, that's something that we, we think a lot about. Well, at least for me, being in the, in the Korean church where there is such strong intended unity. But is it unity in line with what, what God is describing? Yeah, and I, I, so, something I would also kind of reflect on is more and more I, I've come to understand like worship, especially if you're thinking historically, like we're talking about the Apostles' Creed and stuff like that and, and different things we do liturgically because of the tradition that we're coming from, from, from church or denominations. Well, we gather together because we need a place to be taught and remember Remember mm. the Lord's saving deeds, right? Um, what He's done in all throughout history, and especially in Christ, right? But it's it, and that we are still living into that story now, right? And it, it's so important to have that connection, especially when we're doing this in the Asian immigrant church. At times, if we're not careful, we're just doing the things like for the sake of doing it, gathering, for the sake of gathering, gathering because we enjoy each other's company, which is of course you know a huge part of it. But first and foremost is to look to the Lord, look to our, our creator, our maker, our, our, our savior, our king. And I think that's the thing that I reflect on a lot that we more and more, I, I, I meet people or I have friends who are kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to be part of the church or part of mm. go, going to a church service or something like that. And I, I still follow God or I still pray or what I'm like, yeah, sure. But I think God didn't design us for that. <laughs> God designed us for him and for each other yeah and it's like getting our kind of uh, christ identity in us first and then the cultural stuff too is at play like we're, we're it's together at play so it's just that does christ also kind of i think we then you get into issues of is it christ redeeming our culture you know or is it christ with with our culture i think you get into what <laughs> niebuhr's thing or different ways how christ engaged culture but you know at the end of the day regardless how you view that there is an important part to gather because of what God has done. And if we don't have that at, at the foremost, it, it's kind of like it, we kind of succumb to the individuality of what's going on in our, in our culture sure. and our society. So, yeah, and that's, you know, ultimately even heaven is the, pe- the kingdom of heaven is, is, you know, the king and his people, the king of the kingdom. Mm. Like we're going to be worshiping together, not just, you know, by ourselves or, you know, the, this is a glimpse, a little bit of glimpse of heaven a bit. Hmm. You know, just to kind of wrap us off for this episode, just one final thing, if you guys could comment very just briefly about it is how is worship integral to part of our discipleship journey? And especially on, you know, on this podcast, how is it integral for us to consider mission and us participating in mission? Well, I'll just start. Worship is integral for mission. I, I don't know. You got the cheesy thing. I think uh, Matt Redman wrote, wor- worship is fuel for mission's flame or whatever. There is an aspect that our, our worship both fuels us for mission, but we're also on mission 
so that people will worship God. Yeah. <laughs> like you are bringing them to a relationship with God so that they are in relationship. They are getting to know this, this our one true God kind of thing. And I, I think worship is, is a part of it. And even for me, my story was I was a worship pastor and worship led me to a place of, well, if people are not really worshiping God or, or they don't understand why they're worshiping God, I need to be discipling them and I need to help them understand better what's going on. And then it also led me to a place where discipleship, if it's an inward focus, is not enough. We need to see also transformation in people's lives. And where does transformation come from? An act of God, but also us being joining him in his work in the world, mm. which is the part of the mission. Sure. So unless we see people come to know Christ and see the fruits of that mission happen in our lives, we, we kind of just play church <laughs> mm-hmm. at times. We kind of just do the inward focus stuff and, you know, it's the hangout kind of we were talking about. So I do think that's, you know, how my, my experience of that comes out. Sure. I think, you know, the importance of, of worship, it serves as a powerful, profound reminder of our posture before God. And so the expression of who we are, it's, it's an affirmation of identity in Christ. It's an mm. affirmation of who God is in, in, in relation to us. And so I think when we're engaged in worshiping God, that's what it is. It really is that reminder and celebration of the posture that we are to have before God, which is why I think it's an incredibly important part of, of our missional living and, and you know, our task or commission of creating, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that they can and also enter in community and posture of worship before our God. Mm-hmm. Like when we, when we think of the, the, the structure of worship— like in our in our Sunday worship, there's invariably like the gathering of the people, the word of God, the sacrament, and mm-hmm. a, a sending out. And whatever church you're at, there, for the most part, has a, a loose structure around that way. So it's kind of like a narrative that's being told. And I think that there's something to be said about each section that parallels to how we are like living in a discipleship-esque mentality mm-hmm. so even like the gathering of the people like I, I would kind of consider what that would look like for people outside your like after church like your small groups uh, people gathering throughout the week to share meals to uh, be in relationship with one another like like the gathering in the name of the lord mm-hmm. like it represents that like word of god you know we have we have bible studies we, we study what it comes down to the, the the sacrament for some churches, we have communion each Sunday, like that just brings people to remembrance and repentance, like the, that that formation mm-hmm. of your relationship with God, and like to be sent out, like we are all called to be missional in one one way or the other, be it going way out there, the other side of the world, or even in your own home or in your community, your the the, the main coffee shops that you go to every week. Aware of that might be like we are sent out to be that 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 light uh, as to what God has spoken you to you of when you come to worship that Sunday. Hmm. So I, I think there there is always this uh, tension of how like what we do on Sunday represents how we are living out our worship. And I think too, you had already mentioned something like that a little bit earlier. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode. Let us know what you think about worship and what some of your thoughts are in terms of how does it look like in the context of mission and also in the Canadian-Asian context. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, email, or by Twitter. 
And if you have any thoughts, you know, let us know. We'd love to continue to dialogue with you on that. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're on. That helps continue to help us get this conversation out there and to invite more people into it. And once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time. Peace.